Welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air, episode 35. Coming to you from our world headquarters in San Francisco, welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air. I'm Victor Gaxiola. And I'm Eli Miniker. So Eli, just kind of coming off the heels, if you recall, earlier we had uh, interviewed Kate Holmes. Yep, yep. And I met her in mm-hmm. Las Vegas. Um, you know, future advisor, if you will, financial planner and working with her clients, the next generation and stuff. So today we have a treat. We've been kind of building up to that. Insofar as that today, we're going to be uh, sharing the interview that we had with Sophia Barra, who positions herself as not your father's financial planner. Very nice. Great tagline. <laughs> yeah, and it was kind of an exciting conversation just because uh, of her background. I knew most people's backgrounds, especially if they get into this business, somehow, you know, the parent, an uncle, some relative had been working in financial services to give her that exposure. In her case, she actually came at it from an acting background. So. Right. You know, right. she kind of digs in uh, in the interview and talks a little bit about that. But uh, she's based in Minneapolis. Uh, she is the owner of uh, Gen Y Planning. She started it in 2013. And then when we uh, start getting into the conversation, she shares a little bit about a book that she just recently released called Gen Y Planning, uh, Financial Planning for Millennials. And the name of the book is What You Should Have Learned About Money But Never Did. Uh, a Gen Y Guide to Empowered Personal Finance, currently available through Amazon as an ebook for Kindle. So I actually got the, the book, uh, read the book, and then we, uh, we talk about it. So without further ado, here is our interview with Sophia of Gen Y Planning. So we're so excited to have Sophia Barra financial planner, founder of Generation Y, Gen Y Planning, which, as uh, we discussed earlier in the show, delivers this comprehensive financial planning. So, Sophia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, I was uh, sharing with Eli earlier that I was reading your book, which had some outstanding ideas, and certainly want to get to talking about that, as well as how you've created your practice and your background and what have you, but it's always best to learn a little bit about you. So please take this time. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. So I am a financial planner for millennials, and I work virtually with clients in their 20s and 30s across the country. And I didn't start off as a financial planner. I actually am an actor turned financial planner. So I was a double major in theater and women's studies in my undergrad. And um decided that if I was, was never going to make much money, that I better learn, learn what to do with it. So I started reading personal finance books, and I would sit in the personal finance section of Barnes & Noble and learn everything I could, and I wouldn't buy them because I was a broke college kid. <laughs> so uh, so I, that really kind of began my journey and my interest in, in financial planning as well when I realized that huh, other people get paid to help people with their money. And I thought that was really interesting. And I found out about the CFP designation. So I bought a house. Uh, I really wanted to buy a house. And so I bought a house when I graduated from college. And my friends really started coming to me with their money questions. Um, And that's when I really started getting interested in doing the CFP designation. And so I started taking my CFP classes. 
And in my coursework, I ended up meeting my future boss. So that got my foot in the door at a traditional financial planning firm. Um, and I did that for a few years and I switched to work at another local firm. But I, you know, I really wasn't able to help young people with their money because a lot of firms have minimums, whether it's half a million dollars or a million dollars. And you had to have those assets in order for a, a financial planner to be willing to work with you. So I, I took a job at a startup for a year, and I worked at a startup um, that was more geared towards middle-income people. And um, I that was the first opportunity I kind of had to work virtually. So I was able to work remotely from Minnesota, even though the startup was based in, in New York. And I really liked that. Um, but eventually I realized, you know, I really want to launch my own firm that's focused on helping millennials with their money. And I felt like I could do it in a virtual way. And so in May of 2013, I launched GenY Planning. And I started uh, just trying to do my best to write, blog, get press, and get the word out about what I was doing and, and how I was a little bit different and how I wanted to help my generation and empower my generation with their finances. Wow. I mean, I'm amazed considering that you say you started in like May 2013 that you have done a lot in two years. Very, very impressive growth. Very impressive as far as, you know, seeing you profiled, if you will, in an interview and in investment news, the fact that you've written an ebook. You've done a lot. But I want to take it back a little further, if you don't mind, because I thought it was both interesting. Both Eli and I looked at each other when you mentioned that your background was actually, you know, in acting. And, what a what a different take. I mean, most people we come across who work in this industry either had, you know, an uncle, an aunt, a parent, or some senior member of their family who's actually worked in the industry. You took such a different path. So it's interesting that you say that because my dad is actually a psychologist and family therapist, and that has helped me so much in the work that I do. And I actually took uh, a narrative therapy training program, and it's been really influential in how I work with my clients. So I really feel like I've been able to incorporate these other skills, such as communication skills and talking to clients, you know, working with a diverse client base is, uh, is really, you know, you know, my practice is really diverse and being able to be in theater and work with all different types of people and groups of people um, has really been helpful in building a practice and then taking that psychology background as well and being able to incorporate that into um, removing the the person from the problem um, and being able to really uh, strategize with my clients of how to attack their debt and build up their savings rather than feeling like that debt is stuck to them. And um, so those skills, those uh, communication skills and those, that ability to be able to uh, ask a really good question has really influenced my work in financial planning. And, and that's part of why I have a different approach than traditional financial planners do. You know, it's really fascinating because you don't really think of, you know, psychology and the financials being linked, but I guess very much in the ways in which someone approaches their money and finances, very similar to how they approach their life and how their state of mind is. You talked about removing the person from the problem. Can you talk more about that? I was just curious what you mean by that. Yeah, so a lot of times, um, especially with couples, I see, you know, there's some conflict around money. For, it's your debt or it's my debt. Um, and if you can take the debt and put it out in the center of the room, then we can all work towards really looking at, 
you know, the debt is the problem. It's not you that's the problem or me that's the problem. It's the debt. So how can we put that debt in the center of the room and talk about ways in which we can approach that in terms of, of paying it off and uh, what we're each willing to do in order to get there? Right. And one of the things that we constantly talk about, and it's, it's something that we're reminded, even though it seems so basic and simple, Sophia, is the fact that this is a people business and it's high trust. And so having, you know, kind of a psychology background, even to a certain extent, the, you know, the acting, which includes like, like improv, understanding, being able to read people. And it's not, no, not, yeah, well, yeah, getting into some characters and stuff. It's not necessarily saying that you're, you know, when you get in front of a prospect or, or you're working with your clients that you're, that you're acting. But I think with it comes some training and really being empathetic, working off of people and really being able to carry good conversations. Absolutely. And those are all skills that I use every day. And, um, and it's interesting to me how many financial planners don't have a lot of training in being able to, to, you know, improvisation, for example, being able to answer questions on the fly mm -hmm. or being able to um, connect with their clients on an emotional level is something that comes really easily to me. And I know that that can be hard for other planners that, you know, are really all about the, the numbers or more of the analytical um, really want to focus on the charts and graphs. Um, and I really want to focus on how can I help my clients use their money to live great lives. Right. Well, considering you started in 2013 in May, and uh, you know anybody who works in this business knows that it can be very challenging at first to get started. And so can you walk us through exactly some of maybe some of those initial challenges, how you overcame them, and how you came about building your business in the past two years? Sure. Yeah, so I was terrified to start my own business, but I was also really, really knew that um, that this was something that I was excited about and that really fired me up, that I was passionate about. Um, and so I actually went out with my mentor, Scott Oath, and, um, and he, you know, finally said to me, what's the worst thing that could happen? And, you know, I immediately was coming up with all these excuses like, oh, I'll fail. Nobody will want to work with me. I don't have enough experience, blah, blah, blah. And he just stopped me and he goes, no, Sophia, the worst thing that can happen is you'll have to get a job in financial planning. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> like, which is exactly what you're considering doing if you don't start your own company. And so it was when he said that that I finally realized, like, you know, if plan B isn't that bad, you got to go with plan A. So that was the, that really helped um, put me in the right mindset in terms of, I'm just going to do this, like just go all out. Um, and some of the challenges that happened in the beginning was, I think everybody thinks that they can do their own compliance documents when they start. Mm -hmm. And then they start looking at their compliance documents and it's, like written in the foreign language. So one of the best things I did was outsource the compliance to um, a compliance consulting company called CS2. Um, and there are a lot of great compliance uh, companies now that are, that are out there. Um, I just talked to the guys at T3 at the T3 conference yeah. from RIA in a box and right. they're doing some really cool stuff. Um, and so um, to outsource the compliance is one of my big recommendations. Um, the other thing was I was so, so I was so worried about the compliance stuff 
that I didn't get my web designer everything she needed in order to finish designing my website. Mm-hmm. Well, then it didn't take me as long to get approved in, in the state of Minnesota as I thought it was going to because I actually had professionals that were working on this and were able to like get in my documents pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden I was registered in May of 2013 at the end of May and my website didn't go live until six weeks later. So I had a month and a half of being registered and not having a website. Oh, and in the meantime, I was I was quoted in three Forbes articles, <laughs> and I had no website. Oh no! And so, um, so I ended up putting a landing page up um, and just saying, you know, Gen Y planning coming soon. Um, if you're interested in signing up for the Gen Y planning newsletter, enter your email here. So that landing page saved me because I ended up, when I actually sent out my first newsletter, I had 81 newsletter subscribers, and they were from these Forbes articles that I had gotten quoted in about, it was a new grad series, um, and it was May, and you know they were publishing these in, in May and June, and so I ended, up, um, and I ended up getting some press, but I just think, gosh, if I would have had a website and could have had people schedule a call and you know, do all this stuff, like think how many prospects I could have talked to, right? <laughs> so, so I missed out on some opportunity there. And I would say like another big thing that I learned was my first six months in business, I was wasting probably five hours a week emailing back and forth with potential clients about when we could talk, when we could schedule a phone call. And finally, um, another person in my mastermind group convinced me to set up scheduling software. And so I I subscribed to schedule once. I love it. It's like 20 bucks a month. And it's a scheduling tool that you just implement onto your website. It it syncs with your website. And um, basically people can just, uh, it syncs with your, your calendar. So like I use Google calendar and it's a great way for, to make it really easy for anybody to set up a phone call. So I highly recommend if there's one tip or takeaway that that you can learn from me, um, that saves me about five to 10 hours a week now in setting up meetings is by being able to have prospects go and schedule their own call at a time that's convenient for them. And then I can also send the press there and reporters there to find a time that works for them. Um, And so um, now I'm even sending clients there to schedule um, the client meetings as well and picking a time, you know, pick two times that are convenient for you. And, and, and then I get to, you know, choose one of those that work. Um, so, so that's my little quick tip for anybody who's <laughs> going back and forth trying to schedule things. Well, you bring up a, and illustrate a real important point going back. Well, one is the efficiency that a, a technological tool here like schedule one is providing you in the development and management of your business but the other thing, taking a little further back, is how you mentioned when you guys started, you had you know a very simple kind of locator website, and so that's something that um, that we often talk about is the importance of having a digital presence, and most people relate that to to having, let's say, a social presence. But how important websites still continue to be in really establishing who you are, the kinds of problems you solve, so that prospects that come to your website can get a real understanding of how you're adding value. So, can you talk to us a little bit about how? Uh, what an impact your website has done and your digital and uh, mobile, you know, strategies have in the development of your business? Yeah. You know, your website is how people learn about you before they meet you, right? 
And it's almost like a business card or a resume in, in digital form. And so it's so critical that you get your website has an updated photo from this century. <laughs> I hate it when I go to websites and I see like these advisor photos from the nineties, like they don't want to see you, you know, 20 years ago. They want to see what you look like now. Yeah. Um, and so, like, just having a friendly photo there and um, having some information about your services that you offer, how you work with your clients, your ideal client, um, and really being willing to share a little bit about yourself, I think, is really important. It also gives people something to connect with. They're able to say, oh, my gosh, you were in theater. That's so cool. Like, <laughs> I was in theater, too, or uh -huh. I did this play once, right. or, hey, do you sing? You know, I was in choir. Oh, yeah, I was a choir kid, too. I would have been so cool if Lee was around when I was in high school. But it was not around. And I was not cool. You know, like, you know, it just, like, allows you to connect with people um, in, in a different way. And and I think that for, for, you know, many people, especially younger generations, if somebody doesn't have a website, we, like, don't trust it. You know, like, if I can't find you online, like, it doesn't exist. You know, and, and so just, um, there, I mean, when was the last time that you, you know, wanted to go to a restaurant and you checked it out online first, mm -hmm. or you, um, you know, were looking at getting, you know, a cleaning service and you went online to see, you know, what Yelp recommended. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just feel like people are just so naturally looking for, um, looking up companies online and that as a financial planner, you can really set yourself apart by having an inviting website. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we've gotten to the point where, you know, if you don't have a digital presence or any sort of footprint, so if someone does a Google search and you don't show up, then we're getting to the point where people start questioning what you might have to hide. Right. It's just weird, right? Like, how how are you not Googleable? <laughs> Yeah, so Sophia, I was curious because you know you call your your uh, company Gen Y Planning, and I'm I'm also wanted to just kind of get a sense of how you find Gen Y uh, and millennials, you know, clients different from uh, other clients that you normally would uh, interact with. Yeah, so I think a big thing is. Um, people are really strapped for time now. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of busy young professionals that work uh, very demanding jobs or have young families, and they just don't have a lot of time to, to do financial planning within the traditional model. And by that, I mean, they would have to take a half day off work, drive a half hour downtown to their financial planner's office, sit in a client meeting for two hours, drive a half an hour home, that just doesn't really fit with a lot of my clients. It's way easier for them to have a Skype meeting or a Google Hangout at 7 p.m. on a Tuesday or at 10 a.m. on a Saturday. And that's fine with me because that means I can also go to yoga at 1.30 in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah. Um, so whereas if you're working at a traditional firm, if you have a 7 o'clock client meeting, it means you work from like 8 a.m. to 8 or 9 p.m., mm -hmm. Right. Um, but by working virtually, I'm able to really work my schedule around my client's schedule um, and also allow me to have more flexibility in my day as well. And that's something that I think the flexible meeting times and being able to work virtually has been huge for my clients 
And then the other thing I would say is how you charge. So I charge an initial planning fee followed by a monthly subscription, just like you pay your cell phone bill, your gym membership. Um, and that has worked really well for my clients because they're able to work it into their monthly budget. Um, so I have a lot of high income earners, but they have low assets currently. They just haven't had the time to build up a portfolio that's half a million dollars. Absolutely. So a lot of financial planners are disregarding those clients because they're not rich yet, right? And I want to work with them now to help teach them good financial habits and, and help answer their really great questions now so that they want to continue to work with me in the future as their wealth increases. So to address the millennial market, you know, there's a lot of questions. And one thing that, that I've found is that in this country, we don't seem to do enough to help educate our youth and the next generations on the value of financial planning and making, you know, good decisions. And some of these decisions, for a lot of them, start with student debt, you know, um, the decision of buying their first house. They start having families. They need to start planning and investing and saving. So all of these things, you know, you're looking for a resource for that. So, uh, Sophia, you recently released a book. Uh, it's an ebook that's available on Amazon, and I mentioned earlier that I had taken a look at it. It's called What You Should Have Learned About Money But Never Did, and it's really positioned as a Gen Y guide to empowering personal finance. Great book, highly recommended for those that are starting off, or anybody really for that matter, because I've, I was an advisor, and yet I was still learning things by reading through yeah. it. So I wanted to ask you, what was it that motivated you to first write the book, and then I uh, would love to learn exactly how what the reception has been. Yeah, I am really excited to have finally released this ebook. I've been thinking about doing it for a long time. It's been about about a month now. And I um, when I first launched Gen Y Planning, I launched with one service model, which was my it's called my financial accountability program. And it's how I work with my clients on an ongoing basis. They pay an initial planning fee followed by a monthly subscription. And then the next year, I realized that a lot of those potential clients were really wanting a way to work with me on just a one-time basis. So I launched my quick start sessions, which are hour and a half long Skype calls or Google Hangouts. We dive deep into financial planning topics. And then I shoot them an email of recommendations. And so I was able to reach a different, a little bit different demographic by doing that. But the ebook is a way to really make financial planning affordable and accessible for people who mm -hmm. are ready for some additional financial education, but aren't quite ready to invest on a, with, with a financial planner mm -hmm. or in a financial planner. And so I really wanted to do something where the price point was really accessible. So it's $4.99. Um, and, and so far, uh, it's gone pretty well. I'm really excited that it's out there. Mm -hmm. I, I've been writing on the blog for about a year and a half. And so, um, developing the ebook kind of consisted of having my content manager and myself go through previous blog posts and start to compile some of that content that people were really resonating with mm -hmm. and taking that and saying, how can we put this into a more digestible format that's easier for people to, to just pick up their Kindle, download it and, and really read through these different sections, you know, things about saving for the future versus emergency savings, mm -hmm. um, what they should do about their student loans and the different repayment programs. 
um, you know, talking through some of these ideas about um, how to pay down debt while building up savings. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how those ideas started. Um, and, you know, I really want to be able to to reach a thousand people, but not necessarily work with a thousand clients. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like that the ebook was a really good way to get out there, to get in front of more people, to to be introduced to potential clients, um, but also to be able to provide some financial education to my generation, which I feel like is really uh, lacking in our in our culture. Well, I found that it was a very effective way for you to illustrate and establish credibility from the standpoint that in looking at the subjects, and there's about 10 major major chapters, I believe, that it covers. Um, and this is what I found interesting. So the chapters, you mentioned a few, were prioritizing your financial goal. So it starts off with a baseline and really looking inward to say, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? And I think that one thing you make mention of, which is really good here, is it's really about how to think about money. So it wasn't necessarily about, you know, what kinds of investments are you going to make? It's really thinking about your life, your lifestyle, and how money plays a part in being able to reach that. Uh, some of the other chapters, uh, you talked quite a bit about debt and student loans, which I think is something that a lot of the folks in Generation Y and you know even X to a certain extent and the new millennials are thinking about and looking at how they prioritize some of this debt. Uh, you spend some time with saving money and, and earning money, uh, talking about things like credit scores, talking about you know side hu- I love that side hustle, you know looking for other opportunities to earn some money. A full chapter on money and happiness, which I thought was so clever. Uh, and it isn't until chapter six that you get into the actual investing money, which I thought was pretty interesting. So you'd look at a book like this thinking that that would be where most books would get started is how do you invest? And you really talk quite a bit about you know, both the, the liability management, you know, the debt management, but at the same time having some plan for savings, some plan for investing. Um, and, and this is where we might go on a bit of a tangent because, Sophia, I learned through the book that you are a Texas Hold'em player. And so both Eli and I are Texas Hold'em oh, yeah. players. So, um, and I have often tied to We're playing the right now, actually. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, he always wins on the river, this yeah. guy. <laughs> so, so, t- so I've always thought about the fact that to a certain extent, and you, you try to shy away and when it comes to talking about investments to the analogies that have to do with you know, with gambling, but there's a lot of that because it talks a lot about risk tolerance. It talks about yeah. making decisions based on the information that you have available. And what you pointed out, which I thought was important, is the ability to read people and the ability to read uh, decision making. And I think in your, and you have to read the book to, to really kind of capture this whole uh, theme, if you will. But I think one of the things that you had pointed out is that when you play poker, um, it may there may be a minority of women who are playing, but a lot of them make it to the final table, and, so, and yourself included. Can you share why? I won't give it away. Yeah, I just think because uh, we are are a little bit more um, risk adverse, but we also um, know when you know know when to to kind of make that move. And so I think that a lot of um, women are willing to like hold steady in their, in their investment decisions and not, it's not as much about the, the big wins or the big losses. It's more about like that consistency. Um, so investing in investing, it's like dollar cost averaging and staying in the market, even when it's a down market and it's really hard to do that. Um, and not, and not just always going for like those big wins where I see on the poker table, a lot of, 
Uh, a lot more men are like going all in a lot earlier. Um, whereas, uh, you know, it, it knocks a lot of them out earlier in earlier rounds. And then, uh, there's quite a few ladies that I noticed to make it towards the end because <laughs> of how, how they're a little bit more strategic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think so that's that, a little bit about what I thought. Less about. aggressive in their play. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think in what you were, mm-hmm. I wrote down in my notes here that you said like investing kind of equals behavior from the standpoint that a person's portfolio or their approach to investing is very much going to match just their temperament and behavior and how they feel about money going forward. Um, some of the uh, other chapters um, after that was creating financial independence. And one thing that I thought was really good is just you kind of did this reality check. You did this slap across the face to someone who's reading the piece and said, look, chances are you might have to work until you're 73. But the good news is the lifestyle of, of a 73-year-old in today's age is not what it was not even 20 years ago or 30 years ago, and the fact that people are healthier and living longer lives. So I thought that was a really good reality check. And then you talk quite a bit about insurance and then you know future concepts like tax tips uh, for millennials and estate planning. So I, I guess what I'm saying is a very comprehensive easy to read, easy to digest. It's not a long two, 300-page dissertation on financial planning, but a, you know, a great kind of 101, if you will, for someone who has a lot of questions, who's really looking for a guide. I thought it was excellent. So we are definitely going to include a link to our blog um, for the show in our show notes. We highly encourage people to check out what you should have learned about money but never did. And like I said, even though I think it's geared very much to this Generation Y, I think, you know, at any demographic, at any level, you can learn something from this The tips are definitely book. applicable oh, de- absolutely. across the board, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah, um, cost saving, et cetera. Thank, like that. thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> so has, uh, I know the book just recently came out, but has it, has it helped lead, if you will, to some additional phone calls and inquiries, either from the press or from people who are, who are interested in your practice and wanting to work with you? Absolutely. So I would say that um, I did have... Some additional press inquiries. The blogging community has been so supportive. I did. Uh, I reached out to a lot of personal finance bloggers and other financial planners and uh, other industry professionals, and just said, "Hey, I'm coming out with this book. If there's any way you could share it here, or you know, let your community know about it, that would be great." And so that has been really overwhelming. How kind people were in terms of sharing the work that I was doing and writing reviews on Amazon. I mean, I'm just so honored that so many people took time to read the book and write a review. And, um, you know, clients of mine have been super supportive and sending it to their friends. And then I had uh, like a Chicago Tribune writer reach out to me about um, doing an interview about the book and, and, you know, getting some press out around that. So that was really exciting as well. Um, I have my blog is syndicated by Business Insider, and they wrote like three or four pieces uh, using excerpts from the book, which was so exciting. And I just never believed that something like that would happen. And I was so honored that that they were compelled to use some of my content and um, in their work and highlighting different things. So there is just a, a, some really great responses that I've been getting so far, mm-hmm. and. You know, I think the book's already sold over 70 copies in like the first few weeks, and that was really exciting too. So um, 
I'm I'm really thrilled with how it's been going so far. And just to be able to have something at a lower price point in order to offer millennials that financial education piece um, has been really great to me. And it's really making me um, think of other ways that I could get this content out as well. So I'm thinking, and I, and I haven't uh, told anyone this, so you guys are getting the first um, kind of a sneak peek. But one thing I'm considering doing is creating a package that would include an audio book that I'd record as well as some templates and or or maybe like a workbook that people could work through while they're going through the book um, and packaging that and selling it on my website so that there would be really an action plan that people could could invest in as well. Yeah, well I think that'd be great. Yeah, Anytime like you can yeah, add that level of engagement, yeah. it'll definitely bring people. I, I was yeah. going to say, and this is really, it is just between the three of us. I don't think anybody's really listening, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> no. no. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, Sophia, about the uh, the client journey, uh, like an average client journey. So, for I mean, we can use me as an example, but, you know, 29-year-old, you know, Generation Y, millennial kind of, uh, what would, what would uh, happen if I reached out to work with you? And, you know, what would that journey essentially look like? Yeah. So do you want to know like my process and yeah. kind of how I work with my clients? Absolutely. Great. So um, I start out with a free 30 minute strategy session and that's where we hop on the phone together and just talk through what's going on in your financial life currently and, and uh, what are some of your goals and what are you looking for in a financial planner? And we start there and then I tell you about the different service models that I offer um, either my quick start session or my financial accountability program. Uh, and I try to give you one takeaway from our phone call that whether you decide to work with me or not, that you can implement to uh, help improve your financial life. And so that's where the conversation starts. And then if you decided to become an ongoing client, for example, um, I would send you a initial client contract through EchoSign and then an electronic bill for your initial planning fee um, through the Intuit Payment Network, which you can pay online. And so once those two pieces of information are gathered, we choose a, choose a meeting date, which is usually about a month out. Um, and that gives you time to gather the information that I need to begin working uh, on preparing for your uh, financial plan and for your first meeting. And I send, share a Dropbox folder with you and send you an email that kind of goes over this process, um, as well as a data gather email. So here's the documents I need you to put into your Dropbox folder. And here's a link to an online questionnaire through Precise FP that I'd like you to fill out. And once I get that information and we get the date set, um, then we hop on, the, on, on like a video call. And we spent about an hour and a half diving deep in goals and values and kind of verifying the financial information that you gave me and seeing what other questions come out of that conversation. So there's usually a few follow-up items to gather after that meeting. And then after that, uh, we set a follow-up meeting about three to four weeks later, and that's another 90-minute call um, where we do a, a video call, and that's the planned delivery call. So the first meeting is the planned discovery call, and the second meeting is the planned delivery call where I deliver a 10 to 15 page comprehensive financial plan. And it, it consists of, you know, um, everything from debt management, cash flow planning, investments, insurance, you know, retirement planning, those types of things, estate planning, tax planning. 
Um, and those are types of things you would find in a, you know, in a traditional financial plan for more traditional planners. But I also touch on things like which credit card is best for travel rewards for your situation since you love to travel or uh, how, which student loan repayment strategy should you, should you be in? Which, yeah. which one is right for you? Um, or uh, do you need to set up another savings account to reach a different financial goal? So I'm really trying to touch on other things that, that are, um, that a lot of other financial planners aren't talking about. And, and I can usually, you know, help save my clients money by doing a deep dive into their company benefits package. Um, I give them an asset allocation on their 401k plans. Um, you know, doing those types of things can be, can really add a lot of value, connecting them with other, uh, other members of my network, such as, a virtual CPA that I work with or getting them set up with the right life insurance um, through a through a company that I work with that works with clients across the country and, and only works with fee-only financial planners. Um, so those are ways that I really add a lot of value to, to my clients. And then after that, uh, I offer unlimited email support and we usually touch base every month or every other month via email. And then we have client meetings every six months to check in. Because what I found is that my clients' lives change every six months. Mm -hmm. So I need to check in with them that often. Um, a lot of times they come to me and they're engaged. And then six months later, they're getting married. And six months after that, they, one has a new job. And six months after that, the other one has a new job. And six months after that, they're pregnant. And six months after that, you know, they're getting ready for the baby. So, you know, all these changes are happening when people are in their late 20s to late 30s, which is the majority of the, the age range that my clients are in. And so it's really fun to be able to help navigate through those different life changes. And there's a lot of financial planning that goes in whenever there's a major life change like that. Yet a lot of financial planners uh, aren't thinking about the ways that they could be helping those young clients navigate through those changes. Well, Sophia, you've, you've definitively identified a very specific niche that you obviously feel extremely comfortable working with in the Generation Y and the Millennials, and you're developing the resources to really assist them in making better financial decisions. So, you know, we talk a lot in our organization about the advisor, the planner of the future, you know, identifying the skill set and the aptitude that the next generation advisor planner needs to have. Uh, so if, from your position, what do you think... The industry, you know, when we talk to broker dealers, we talk to wirehouses, we talk to small independents. What do you think they need to do in order to be able to be prepared to serve this next generation of investors and uh, and individuals that are looking for financial planning? Yeah, well, I think they better figure out something because of the you know billions of dollars in wealth that's going to be transferring. Um, so you know, there's like there's going to be like thirty billion dollars transferring over the next thirty years. Um, from one generation to another. And if, unless people are really engaged in, um, in working with, uh, the, their clients' kids or, you know, the children of their clients, they're really, I think a lot of those clients are going to start looking elsewhere, um, when they start inheriting that wealth because that planner doesn't resonate with them or identify with them. Um, and, you know, we have to remember that this industry came out of insurance and tax planning, right? And taxes. Um, and they've done a really good job of serving rich old white dudes. But since none of my clients are rich old white dudes, I do things differently because that doesn't work for my clients. Um, 
And I, and so I have virtual meetings and I charge on a monthly basis mm-hmm. and I, uh, connect with my clients over travel and, um, and really being, you know, being worldly. Um, I, I think it's a really exciting time to be part of this profession, mm-hmm. um, because tech, you know, technology is changing so quickly. So in the last five years, the amount of tech tools that have come out and developed and how much better video conferencing has, has become, you know, that allowed me to be able to start a completely virtual location independent business, mm-hmm. which I couldn't have done five years ago. Mm. Um, or if I would have do- tried to do, it would have been much more expensive. You know, if we look at CRMs that a lot of these big firms are still using, like Juncture, you know, it's a couple thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. You know, my CRM is less annoying CRM and it's $10 a month. <laughs> so it's just like these, these things like that, that, that have really, you know, just blown open so many doors for planners to be able to, um, start their own firms in a less expensive way. You know, the XY Planning Network is out there now and they're helping people launch firms and I'm one of the founding members and I wish it would have been around, you know, sooner so that I could have, uh, they could have helped me through my launch. Um, and, you know, now I get to help connect other, you know, with other planners and we all just, we're all part of this network and we get to help each other, you know, figure out how can we serve this demographic better. Um, and, and to me, it's just really exciting um, to, it's an, just an exciting time. And I think that, um, you know, I have a really diverse client base and I'm, I'm serving clients that just would not be served by traditional financial planners. Um, and that's what's really exciting to me is now there's more, you know, young, fun, uh, planners that are doing interesting things that are offering different business models to be able to work with, with different clients that were just completely ignored from the financial planning profession for years. Um, and you know, as millennials are starting to get older too. So before, you know, maybe our complicated, you know, our situations were less complicated. You know, we graduated from college, we got our first job, signed up for a 401k, had some student loans to pay off and, and, you know, had a savings account. Right. But then five years later, it's, oh, I've switched jobs a few times. I have a few old 401k plans. I'm buying a house. Uh, I just got engaged. Oh, and what do I do about these stock options I have at my current mm-hmm. company? Mm-hmm. So all of those things are, are, you know, playing into the lives of, of my clients and people are, have been bombarded with financial information the past few years and are really looking for a individual planner to talk them through these major decisions because there's so much information coming at them. Uh, and I love being able to, to be able to offer that to help, you know, validate some of their decisions or be that person in their corner that's helping, um, you know, coach them and, and show them how to, you know, how to make these different choices. Um, at the same time, you know, something you touched on earlier was that my book didn't start talking about investments till very late and late in it. And I always tell my clients 80% of what I do has nothing to do with investing. Mm-hmm. And that's because uh, there are so many financial decisions that we make all the time and very few of them have to deal with investments. And traditional planning has been focused on investments and retirement planning. And that's not where the focus is for millennials. It's career planning. It's uh, what do I do about my student loans? Should I buy or should I rent? Should I start a 401k or a Roth IRA? Uh, and, and just learning about those things, being able to answer those questions. And so as we 
uh, as we start to develop these uh, new relationships with new clients that are they're demanding you know different things that different questions be answered and to me that's really exciting very cool that's Great. That's, yeah. abso- that's absolutely fascinating too uh, I'm curious I just want to I want to make sure our um, listeners know how to find your company uh, how would they find you online yeah so I'm on Twitter all the time so please follow me um, at Sophia Vera S O P H I A B E R A uh, but check out my website. It's genyplanning.com, G-E-N-Y is in the letter, planning.com. And then um, you can always shoot me an email, sophia at genyplanning.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. And, um, yeah, just, just come, say hi, sign up for my newsletter, um, check out my ebook, And I'm, uh, you know, really excited to connect with other uh, financial planners that are tech savvy and interested in kind of pushing the profession forward. So definitely find me on Twitter, say hi, um, or drop me an email. I'd love to hear from you. Excellent. Well, that sounds great. Sophia, on behalf of all of us here at Hearsay Social, just want to thank you very much for joining us on the air in today's uh, program. We'll be sure to include your contact information on the show notes, as well as the uh, podcast notes that are will be on iTunes as well as Stitcher Radio. But uh, keep doing what you're doing. Let us know how things are going. We'll check in with you every, every now and then. I'm hoping to actually get to meet you in real life at some point at one of these conferences, perhaps the T3 conference in, uh, in Florida later this year. Yeah, it would be really fun. We definitely have to connect at some point because um, I, I'm going to more and more conferences. So it would be so much fun to meet in person. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. And uh, for all our listeners, check out the book, as we mentioned. And uh, thanks, Sophia. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. I had a great time today. Yeah, take care. All right, take care. Okay, so that was our interview with Sophia. A lot lot there, right? A lot to talk about. Very, very good, yeah. And very interesting, like I said, the background that she had in acting, and and then you know, the, I guess her dad was a psychologist, or, right? Right. And so, how much of that of, really kind of played in? Kind of come together to to build Gen Y planning, and you know, have that focus. I I really appreciate the fact that she took this risk really to get her her business started without very little background, but she identified a need. She identified this need that most financial planners, most advisors are really kind of ignoring the millennials because they don't have money. And if uh, anybody's familiar with Chris Andrew from uh, Northwestern Mutual, who's come on stage before, who we've profiled, uh, he, he calls them Henry's. Do you remember this? Yes. High, high earners, high not rich yet. Yeah. And so there's a lot of that. The people, especially here in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, people who are earning a very high income, but don't necessarily have much of a nest egg. Uh, so they, they're looking for help. They're looking right. for people like Sophia to help them out. And what I found really interesting was just how these advances in technology have really made it much easier for her to build her business, to grow it and scale it. So even though she's based in Minneapolis, she's not necessarily you know tied to just Minneapolis and has clients all over the U.S. So I think this is a pattern that we're going to continue seeing that manifests itself as it came up with Kate. Mm-hmm. It's continued with Sophia. How this embracing of technology, which was a lot of the premise of our executive report, the advisor of the future, is embracing these tools to allow them to scale their business and focus really on the types of clients that they want to work with. Absolutely. Dog, you know what this means. Oh, I do. This is... Fast becoming one of my favorite segments of the show. It's time for Ronnie Walk. Walk. 
Yeah, so we got an update from our good friend Ronnie, who's been uh, walking across the state of Pennsylvania. So the latest update is he is left the state of Pennsylvania. All right. And should be somewhere in the Maryland region. So don't have an exact location as of yet, but okay. we'll check in with him. But that's just really the quick update. Uh, the one thing that we'll add is that we did post some of the pictures that he shared with us on our Facebook page. So be sure to check out our Facebook page for the latest updates on Ronnie, Ronnie Walk. <laughs> All right, so coming back to the interview with Sophia, I mean, one thing that really was pretty funny, and I'm not sure, for those listeners that are familiar with Bill Winterberg, he has a, a great program called Bits and Bytes, and you can actually see it on iTunes. It's an actually video program. He does like four to six minute videos, updates on technology in financial services. So fppad.com, highly recommend it. But the reason why I bring it up is because Sophia just recently took the show over, or at least it appeared that she took the show over. So if you want to see her in uh, on video form, you can find it on the fppad.com. We'll include a link to that show. It's pretty funny how they all know each other. So it's a small ecosystem, her and Michael and Kate. Kate and so it's all yeah. these people that we've interviewed as part of our podcast. We need to get Bill on the on the show at some yes, point. So I'd love definitely. to get him on the show. But speaking of uh, future shows, so next week we're excited to promote that Steve Garrity, our uh, C CTO, CTO yep. and co-founder of Hearsay Social, will be joining us here on the show. And so uh, we look forward to asking him some questions, kind of get his perspective, because we interviewed Claire on episode 20 right before the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So it'd be kind of interesting to get his take you know, on the entirety of the origins of Hearsay Social, the emotions and everything that kind of built up to where we are now. So we'll be real curious to talk to him about that, as well as the- hard hitting uh, interview. We hope so. Let's get to the <laughs> nitty gritty, you know, yeah. <laughs> let's get deep. So once again, this is Hearsay Social on the air. We want to thank you for listening. Don't forget, you know, to- uh, Email us email at us. onair at hearsaycorp.com. And also you can follow us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and you can also, you know, if you have any comments or questions, use hashtag HSOnAir on Twitter, and we'll be sure to, uh, to respond. So thank you all for listening. Mm -hmm.